Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So today we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, a couple of different topics, but largely around the, the, the theme of uh, shutting something down and specifically drawing on some of the experiences uh, from this past week where uh, the app Vesper, which was made by Brent Simmons, Dave Wiskus and John Gruber uh, announced that they are going to be closing down after you know a several year run of being in the App Store, um, and they handled that process both really well. And I think that's something that I think we wanted to uh, expound upon a little bit and talk about how to actually walk through closing something down when it's time you know the time has come for it to be shut down. How to do that in a classy and um, you know good for your users kind of way, uh, and then also they've they've both written uh, a. a a lot of postmortems and kind of thoughts about the process. Um, and some of them relate to uh, the modern app store and ways of pricing things and things that may have worked out differently. You know, how, how if they've if they'd approached the app differently, would it have been successful in a different way uh, that I think are all very relevant to, you know, to us in our discussion. But I think first, the best place to start is just to talk about the way they shut down Vesper. And so, you know, Brent posted and they did sort of this last update uh, i just think it had been quite a while since they had done a previous update and they did an update and basically all it does is it adds the ability to export all of your data out of the app uh they made the app free so that you um it just be, it's like why not and they've sort of turned off the ability to create new sync accounts um which and then their sync service will be going away soon and Overall, I was when I saw that I was like, that is just like the classy way to do it. Like they've put in the extra effort, even though necessarily there's not not a specific return for this effort uh, because the app has become now free. Um, they put in the effort to make it so that if you're an existing customer, you're taken care of. And whenever I see you know I'm in a season like that, like I'm not surprised given the people who are doing this, but it was a good reminder that there will come a time with all of our products where we have to just you know we're probably gonna have to you know, turn things off. And it's something probably worth planning for and thinking through. Um, and then, you know, I probably encourage also just the being thoughtful about what's best for your customers in that situation. You know, it's it's an unfortunate reality that in in this business, basically nothing is permanent. Um, this is one of the reasons, you know, going back kind of to the to the big picture for a second, like the the, the possibility for the apps we, we use and possibly depend on to ultimately shut down or be sold or whatever the case may be to, to change in a way that either shuts them down completely or that make it so that we can't or don't want to use them anymore really underscores the importance of keeping your data if possible in open format or at least preserving the option like what Vesper did to export into open formats um, and there's there's some discussion too about like whether they are morally obligated to open source it or not um, I I think uh, in Brent's original post, he made a pretty good case for why, like, they might open source it, but it's not necessarily a sure thing that they should or need to because, like, this is really old code because it was it was originally written for iOS six, um, and a, a lot of it is not particularly useful in the modern era of like modern iOS uh, capabilities that they that like now if you were the same thing today you'd use way less code and ultimately i don't believe that anybody is entitled to the source code of another application if they if they paid five bucks for it once two years ago like that's that to me is just not not a thing i think it's a it's a courtesy if you can open source it it's kind of interesting a little bit but it's not you know the panacea that some people think they they need and deserve um and and if you if it's very important to you to have open source stuff if an app goes out of business i think the only way you can actually do that is to 
use an app that is open source from the beginning. Anyway, so you know, I've I've gone through a few product transitions myself. The I think the only thing that's actually shut down is the magazine. But, you know, who knows what what the future will hold there. It's tough, but it's the reality. I mean, this was an, you know, Vesper was an app that that all of its creators were very clear that they would have liked to have more time to spend working on it. They would have liked for it to continue and to be worth working on, but it didn't bring in enough money to be full-time incomes to justify the work that it would have taken to make it really the next level and to make the Mac app and to make everything else it needed. That's just how it goes sometimes. That, you know, that's just the reality of product development. Sometimes it doesn't work out and when you're when you're choosing to work on a side project like this was for all three of its of its developers, it has to somehow justify the time you're putting into it, and and in this case also the the money that that they were paying to host the sync service, and to and to license the font, and so you know they they had ongoing costs, they were faced with the problem of time investment that it needed, and there simply wasn't enough revenue coming in to make it worth it, and that's unfortunate on so many levels uh for so many reasons um especially with with this group of people and with this app because it was a very good app and these were very high profile developers who they got a lot of good publicity from themselves and others because of their position and because it was a good app and it still didn't work out so i think there's a lot we can unpack from this and a lot we can learn from this uh from the the market today yeah and it's i think there's something too to be said that it's it's it it is in, it's a very strange thing to say, but in a, in a, in a small way, I find it slightly encouraging um, that Vesper didn't work out. And, and I, to, to explain that, what I mean is any project that any of us do, has, even if it has everything going for it uh, in terms of, you, you know, there's not a lot of things that you could kind of con- imagine or draw up that would be like, put the app, put your app, if you, whatever you're working on, in a better place as a starting off point than I think what Vesper had. But it's a reminder of how even if you have everything going for you and you make something awesome, that's not necessarily going to be enough. That like, And that's in some ways I find that encouraging because it's a reminder that you just, it, it, it's not – even having all those things, you won't, you're not guaranteed success. So even if you don't have those things, you're in, in, some, in a weird way much the same – in the same boat. You know, you're – there's going to be a certain, a certain degree of luck about – um, whether it's, you know, wh- whether it's going to hit the right group, whether you approach things in the right way. And I mean, in reading through their postmortems about the experience, it's like there's things that they look back and they made choices that they would do differently now. And they are people who really understand the app store, who are very smart developers and designers. And, you know, they made decisions that in some ways they wish they would have changed too. And, and I don't know, in a weird way, it's like, it's nice to have that, uh, that humanity of that of like, yeah, it's difficult. It's tough. And it's a good reminder that if, you know, I, when I launch things, if they don't work out the way that I might want them to be, you know, it's like, that's just, that's just the table stakes. That's just the reality of the game of making software and putting it into a market um, that sometimes it's not going to work. And it's also a good reminder too of, you know, it's so easy, I think, to discredit. And I mean, this is sort of like, that's nice for kind of a a problem where it's (laughs) like when you see someone launch something and they have the big publicity, it's like, yeah, that's nice, I suppose, but like that's not a guarantee of success either. Ultimately, the work and effort that it'll take for something to be successful um, isn't just based on who you are. That it, there's more to it than that, and that just seems like a good reminder um, that this is as sad as it is as a as an event. That's exactly it. I mean, like you know, I, I've I've said for years, and nobody believes me because I have I'm the benefit I, I'm the beneficiary of of 
publicity because I have an audience. But um, I've said for years that you know having a built-in audience or being like a quote famous developer or whatever else it does help you a lot at at launch time. It, it is something that can basically guarantee you a certain minimum level of success at launch. But it is not a substitute for a good product market fit. It is not going to save you from market realities. And it is not really going to help you that much in the long... It'll help a little bit, but it's not going to help you that much in the long term. You know, in this case, Vesper was a note-taking app uh, and it was it did things a little bit differently than, than other note-taking apps so it had like a couple of, of unique features and, and design choices um, and also of course it looked really nice but you know I, I was using design more in the feature sense there um, and they, they did a whole bunch of custom uh, UI text field jumbling basically like like work to, to, to work around UI text fields limitations to make it really awesome to do what they wanted to right before all that stuff became a lot easier so they had they had like you know market timing problem number one of they they did a whole lot of work to to hack around UI text fields problems right before the APIs made that unnecessary. They also did a huge amount of design and work making a, a clean, simple design looking app running on iOS six, and then iOS seven came in and changed everything about design and made a whole bunch of that stuff easier. Later, they had the issue of. When they launched, the the third-party notes category was a lot healthier than it is now uh, because Apple Notes was terrible. And then in the meantime, Apple Notes got really good. They, it got that big update. Was it iOS 8? I think so, yeah, with CloudKit. I think so, when that yeah. came out, or when it was first using, it, 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 had, it dramatically improved the sync system and meant you didn't have to use WebDAV, and I think it, I think it was 8. Yeah, 8 or 9, whenever it was. Um, you know, Apple Notes got a ton better, like massively so. And to everyone's great surprise, I think, I mean, I don't think anybody expected Apple to ever really care that much about their Notes app and to add the level of features that they did. But anyway, Apple Notes comes out, is awesome, and takes away much of Vesper's uh, market gain, or, or, or rather, much of Vesper's purpose in the market, I think. Um, not all of it, of course, because you know there's a lot of things that Vesper still did better for a lot of people, but uh, it certainly took a lot of the wind out of those sales. So it was it was impacted a lot by the market in general, but also, I, I think, uh, in John Gruber's post earlier, uh, in his big post-mortem about it, I think he does point out also that uh, the pricing model was just also fairly outdated and that's something i think we have a lot to say uh, about here uh so originally a five dollar upfront app no in-app purchase no recurring revenue stream just five dollars once upfront um same model i used back in the day for instapaper um sort of what i used at the beginning of overcast but not really a uh, very popular model lots of people use it uh, especially in the early days and the advantages of that model are, are plenty. I mean, first of all, it's very, very simple, as we discussed earlier you know, on earlier episodes about pricing. Uh, implementing paid upfront takes basically no work for the developer. You don't have to do, you don't have to do any in-app purchase code. You don't have to do any receipt checking, any restore purchases, any anything, really. You just kind of set the price in iTunes Connect, and that's it. You're done. Uh, so there's lots of advantages for the developer. It also takes care of a lot of like ambiguities of whether somebody bought it at the right time or whatever. You know, it, it solves a lot of problems there. It also creates a few problems. Um, there is no clear way to upgrade pricing. There, you know, it people have to pay before they can even see the app. So you have a lot of unhappy people who buy the app. You get their money, and then they kind of don't like it. So you, it's kind of like kind of unfair. It's not really good for customer satisfaction or or your reputation if the app doesn't live up to it and people are unhappy with you. Um, and then of course. Uh, the big problem is that these days it's really hard to get people to pay for apps up front. That, that's a big one. 
And I think we'll talk more about that. But first, we'll talk about our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Linode, a combination of high-performance SSD Linux servers spread across eight data centers around the world, makes Linode a fantastic solution for your server infrastructure. In GeekSpeak, they're a VPS host, basically, but they're a really, really good VPS host. You can get a server up and running in under a minute with plans starting at just $10 a month, which now will get you two gigabytes of RAM at that $10 a month level. It's incredible. You'll be able to choose your resource level, your Linux distro, and your node's location and data centers right from the manager tool. And once you're up and running, you can easily deploy, boot, and resize your your virtual server with just a few clicks. Now, Linode servers offer industry-leading native SSD enterprise-grade storage. This is amazing SSDs, great speeds, no I.O. problems that I've ever had with them. They're fantastic. These are running powerful Intel E5 Xeons, uh, which are the fastest you can get in the cloud market, and they have access to a 40-gigabit backend network with multiple levels of redundancy. There's also an API that allows you to easily automate tasks or develop custom applications in the cloud. I actually use the API uh, whenever I need to set up a new server. I have a big script that does the whole thing for me, all using the the Linode API. And all of Linode's pricing tiers feature hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups and node balancers. So you can pay per hour if you want to, but... Once you reach the rate that would have been the monthly rate, it caps you there, so you don't ever pay more than you have to. We we recommend it. Linode is awesome. I have all my stuff hosted there now. And uh, Anyway, as a listener of this show, if you sign up at linode.com slash radar, you'll not only be supporting us, but you'll also get $20 towards any Linode plan. So go to linode.com slash radar to learn more, sign up, and take advantage of that $20 credit, or use promo code radar20 at checkout. Thank you so much to Linode for supporting the show. So one thing that I wanted to th- that sort of talk a little bit through is related to this sort of this concept of you know charging five dollars up front and the in my recent experience it's something that I've sort of sort of started to wrap my my hands around is the concept that it is whenever I'm building something it is so easy to focus on the say the first month that the app is going to be in market, that I'm going to build something, I'm going to put it on the app store and it's going to go out. And my focus and my thinking and, you know, both around the design, the development, everything, pricing, marketing, it's all about that first sort of wave. Um, and in many ways that makes sense. That's logical. Like that's, that, that is after, you know, if you say you spend months and months building something like that first month is really exciting and important to say that first day, you know, we're seeing yourself, you know, hopefully, you know, zoom up the app, the charts in the app store. Like that's really cool. But the reality is that act like sustainable, long-term viable businesses are not made really at all in that first month that, in my experience, in order for you to have something that is viable long term, you have to have a model that will work a year from now, 18 months from now, and have an ongoing component to it that works and does what you need it to do. Um, and that is, I worry, I think we're, as I've you know, gone through this, this, this there's so many, I've, I feel like I've had the discussion in my mind and out loud dozens and dozens of times about, oh, what's the best model for pricing in the app store? But at the end of the day, I think the simple like, question that is probably helpful as we think through these types of things for our own applications is how will I make money a year from now doing what I'm doing? And if you don't have a good answer, then it's probably not a great you know, setup. And if you actually remember back one of the early episodes of uh, Under the Radar, we were talking about Activity Plus Plus, and you know, we were going back and forth whether it should be free or paid. Um, and there was an Activity Tracker tracking app that I made, 
Um, and we, I ended up deciding to do the paid upfront model. And there was a variety of reasons for that. But nevertheless, it was an interesting and recent data point for the same process. And what happened is I think what I could have predicted would happen and I was fine with happening. But, you know, the first couple of weeks, uh, it did very well. I was very happy with it. And then it very quickly just fell down and is now continuing in a, in a stable level. But that stable level is very close to zero. Um, it's not zero. It's, you know, it's just sort of mumbling along uh, on the bottom. But if you look at the, you know, the actual curve of it, it's very, very minimal income at this point. And that for that particular app was fine uh, for, for, you know, for, for what I was doing. But as an example of that problem of if, if you can't have a good way of making money down the road, then your business model is always kind of going to be stuck. And I think that is, I think, the most fundamental problem with the paid upfront model that we have right now, because every, it's sort of like, it's almost like the opposite of the the marginal cost advantage, you know, where over time, like once I've made a piece of software, I can sell the next copy for free, essentially. I don't have to build it twice. Like I've made it once and I can keep selling it. Uh, and so, you know, the marginal cost of that, that each subsequent purchase goes down for me. But in a weird way, acquiring your next customer after you've gotten the first one gets incrementally harder as you go uh, in in some ways necessarily that you may have that initial burst of people who are interested in it, who are, you know, sort of passionate about what you're doing or love. In this case, they love notes apps or they take lots of notes Um, like the the easy, low hanging fruit type of customers that um, you may be able to acquire. But then each day you go on from there. If you want to be able to have a sustainable and reliable income stream, you have to have a way of getting more and more people. And you're starting to get farther and farther from your own, you know, your own circles in terms of if you're, you know, the, what we were just saying earlier about, well, it's easy if you have a built-in audience. It's like, well, that's great that first week, but that doesn't help you a month later or a year later when everybody in your circle is aware of it. They know about it. They've bought it or have not bought it or, you know, and that that's where you find yourself, um, and so that's the thing. That the interesting thing that I've started to try and filter my my thinking through around pricing and around business models is it's not really caring too much about that first you know that that first period and th- thinking almost exclusively about a year from now. And if you don't have a, if you having a good plan for what that looks like, um, and if you do, if you can focus on that, I feel like you're in a much better place. And maybe you're going to discount and lose a bit of potential revenue that first week or so. But overall, you know, you'll make you'll make it back dramatically if you have a much better position years down the road, especially if this is something that you want to do long term. Exactly. I mean, you know, you, you have to think about like a year from now, because like we've like anybody who has ever had a paid app in the store has seen the exact same curve that, you, that you've seen on Activity Plus Plus and probably many of your other apps, which is like that big long spike that that first like couple days or week where it's great. And then just a, a, a pretty quick drop and then kind of a, a plateau, kind of like an asymptotic curve, like into zero, basically, that where it kind of stays indefinitely low or gets gradually lower if, if it isn't at zero yet. And 
you know, I've seen that. I saw that with many of my apps. I, I saw that with Instapaper, every every major version. I saw it with Bugshot, the whole thing. I and I saw it with Overcast when uh, when like I launched, even though it was free, it still had that one time paid purchase. So it was it kind of had the same shape. It was just like a little bit different dynamic, but same shape of great first couple of months and then gradual decline. You know, and and just slowly declining over time. And that's one of the reasons I switched to recurring subscription payments for it is because subscription payments, it's not easy. It's it's actually harder to get people to pay that way. But at least the curve is going in the other direction. And it's not even going that far in the direction. And I'm going to have to add more things behind that paywall to make it more healthy than it is now. Because right now, basically what happened with Overcast, as a quick aside here, um, the patronage model, I was trying to get 5% of users to pay. Um, before there were any features when it was just goodwill-based, I achieved about 1.5%, and it kind of plateaued at that. And so when I added dark mode and file upload, but I think it's mostly about dark mode, just having those two desirable features behind the paywall rather than nothing made it go from about 1.8%, to about 3%. But it it is now plateauing at about 3%. That, that, That rate has stopped growing. And really, I needed to be more like 5% to really sustain this healthily. And so I'm going to have to put more new features behind that. And this is like, just so everyone knows, like, nothing works perfectly. Like, you know, I, no matter what we say, like, you know, when we launch something is here's how we think it's going to go, uh, it doesn't always go that way. And, you know, when Vesper launched at five bucks up front, they thought that was going to work great because for many people and for a while it, it worked okay. But then the market moved over time. They they found that, you know, they, they ran into competition and other, and other issues and, it didn't work out so well in the end. So I, uh, one thing that I would definitely say is to basically keep your mind and options open on pricing and, and how you make money because even if you pick a, a certain model at the beginning, you will probably have to change that. And what and what you think is the way to go might not be the way to go one, two, three years from now. You know, I'm now in that point with Overcast where I'm making enough that it's, you know, it's it's okay I'm not losing money on it, but I would ideally like to be making more um, to to really justify pouring even more time and resources into it uh, and having a little bit more a little bit more headroom on the budget. And so, I got to figure out something else. Like that's it. Like I, I'm not just, I'm not just going to sit here and and do nothing. I got to figure something else. Now, the paid up front model I think works really well if your business model is I don't care about next year. And there's lots of legitimate cases where that is where that is true. Like if you're making like a little special utility app that is going to be probably not able to justify a whole bunch of your ongoing time and your ongoing maintenance and ongoing updates, and you're and you're maybe going to have a lot of those, that probably makes more sense to be like, all right, paid up front. It's a simple thing. People are going to like buy it, use it once or twice, and then their need for it will go away or whatever else. That's fine. Uh, but if you if you're trying to make something that's going to be like a productivity app that people are going to ideally use every day for years. You're going to need a different model because I think we've seen over and over again that paid up front for that is really hard to make work. Yeah. And I think it's also an interesting – there's there's some interesting realities I think about the App Store too. And I've noticed these in myself. And this is like a tricky thing to – in some ways I feel embarrassed about talking about it. But I've noticed my, in my own – when I'm in the App Store, like now, I go to – you know on my iPhone, I open up the App Store. If I'm looking for an app and I see that it's paid – 
I have tremendous reluctance to download it. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and I feel bad about saying that because I'm I'm a software developer. I'm an indie software developer. Like I make my yep. living from people giving me money in the app store, but I don't want to give anyone else money. And I think the reality about that, though, like which is where it's like that's kind of in some ways a profound thing to observe about myself is if I if if, if I don't want to do it, why would anyone else want to do it and give me money? Like that's just the experience we've had in the app store. And there, you could you could unpack like thousands of different reasons why that's the case. Why I don't want to pay money for apps in the app store anymore. You know, maybe I've been burned in the past. There's, there's such incredible competition. There's lots of free alternatives. You know, it's like, unless it is an app, essentially, unless the app was made by a friend of mine, or I absolutely have to have it for some reason, I will, I probably won't buy it. I will find a free alternative. And that's just like the reality and i could have some high-minded ideals that oh no it's you know it it devalues software it makes our craft less um special or valuable or whatever you could kind of imagine but like that's the reality that when i look at something i'm like "Mm, maybe not or maybe i don't need it that much and having that honesty about myself i think helps me understand my customers better and understand the realities of the store that we're selling in and that's instructive i think that that having that feeling of saying like you know if i'm not willing to buy for you know pay for software maybe why should i expect that someone else would um and that leads me to you know now increasingly like my focus is on uh you know free apps and finding ways to make money in those um and i think overall that's better uh free is great because it makes it there was saying earlier where it gets incrementally harder to um find that next customer in some ways a free app has the opposite benefit because it's as you go um it starts you know you it it has a much more frictionless spreading phenomenon where you know if someone if someone has your app they like it they can tell someone else and there's no cost for that exchange it's not this like well here's this app i really like it um you know but but there's no but there's not like but it's a couple bucks like there's not this sort of this apology that you have to add to that if you're recommending it to somebody. Yeah, this huge um, barrier that people have to have to decide whether they want to go over or not. I mean, ideally, you don't want to put big barriers in front of people before they even have seen how good your app is. Exactly. Like, I mean, you you want, and I think even there's this funny thought of. I feel like I have to keep in mind that while I'm sitting in my office working in Xcode making something, it's so easy to almost to like become precious about my software and to to like it, it overemphasize what it is that something make it feel like it's you know oh, i've poured my heart into this it's, it's, I, it, I, you know it it, it can you can t- make you can give it these feelings that aren't really constructive where at the end of the day it's just it's an app that's going to be going into a store with two million other apps um and as special and unique and as much of a special snowflake as you feel like it is it's probably not as special as you think it actually is and so being realistic about that and understanding that, you know, people aren't going to want to just pay you money because they your app is special. Like, they won't know it's special. And even if they do know it's special, they may not care. I couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, it, this is a very competitive market. It's so competitive. There's so many other apps out there. You have to convince people that they need yours. And if there's any barriers in front of that, they're going to cost you dearly. And you have to make money somewhere. And it used to be really easy to just put a paid up front price on it, and that worked pretty well. 
But that was back when the market was less competitive and people were more exploratory with how they spent their money in the app store. People didn't people weren't already like kind of burnt out on spending money on on apps to try them out. Um, that worked very well for maybe two years at the beginning of the app store. Now it's different. Now it's harder. It's a mature market. There's way more competition. It's just harder. And it can be done. But it's also going to be very hard to do it in a way that can fund somebody's lifestyle to be a full-time job to work on a basic iOS app that charges a couple bucks. Like, you, ha- there has to be more to your strategy than that. And it's not easy. And it's getting harder every year. And there is still a market there. But you have to be really uh, savvy at, at trying to get it. You have to try a lot of things. You have to be willing to challenge lots of assumptions. And you have to be willing to swallow your pride on a lot of this stuff. And it's unfortunate, but that's the reality of a very competitive, low-profit business. Yeah, and I think those those two things that you just pointed out are the, the key to all of this. It's being creative and flexible about approaches and then being humble about your approach to things and not overemphasizing or over-exaggerating um, what you're doing exactly i mean like i've thought about like putting ads in overcast like that's something i never would have thought of years ago but now i have a situation where i make no money from 97 percent of the user base so i could make some possibly even good money from them if i put ads in it it's something that, that i was all snobby about before but now i'm actively considering it because again like why should i leave that option on or off the table whatever the <laughs> why should i not consider that option because you know i once found them kind of annoying like could is it possible to do it well i don't know but we could talk about that in a different episode when we have more time but sure. that's you know you have to consider everything now because it's it's so competitive make no assumptions all right and with that we are out of time thanks a lot for listening everybody and we will talk to you next week bye